Hello Knockouts, Tanya TKO here, and welcome to this year's first official edition of Goddess Off The Grid. And the way things have been going lately, it's been more like Queen under quarantine. But I felt like I had to come out and do a podcast today because today has been a really hard news cycle for Black women, with Tamar Braxton being rushed to the hospital with a possible suicide attempt, and Megan the Stallion coming out and and expressing how she was shot. And the rumors are that Tory Lanez, the guy she was dating, shot her because she didn't want her to leave. And some other things that I came across in the news that I felt that we needed to, we needed to talk about, like the fact that in order to get proper health care, black women have just naturally during this pandemic been gravitating together and providing healthcare services for one another. And it just reminded me of the fact that in order to get good healthcare, that we've had to segregate. And I just, it's a lot. And I felt that we really needed to have this conversation. So I decided to come out and make this and video is different than audio. And so when you watch a video, you sit there and you're watching and you're looking, you may be doing other things, but you're there to consume and receive the content and be entertained. When you listen to a podcast, you've set aside the time for us to have a conversation and you've cleared out the space for us to talk. You're cooking, you're driving, you're washing clothes or folding them up. And it's just you and me having a conversation and we're able to really take the time to dive in deep to subjects that really need to be expounded upon. So listen, if you enjoy my podcast and my videos, support the content. Go to tanyatko.com forward slash podcast and contribute monthly. You can contribute as little as 99 cents a month, $9.99 a month, $4.99 a month, whatever feels comfortable for you. The That money goes directly towards assisting me be able to bring you the content that you love to hear and watch. So let's jump into it. I am Tanya TKO and I'm a certified clinical hypnotherapist from tanyatko.com. I assist people with loving themselves and each other. Recently, I've gotten into activism on my Facebook and YouTube page, especially with the protests that have been coming up and diving into the issues of blackness and blackness in America and unpacking that, which leads us to how we got to where it is that we are today. Listen, I'm the author of the book of affirmations, self-love, which is available on Amazon right now. And I also have MP3s on my website, hypnotherapeutic MP3s that you can use to be able to create shifts inside of your life. And with all that's going on, We as black women need support now more than ever. Let's jump into the first story. I woke up this morning to the news story that Tamar had been rushed to the hospital, that she was in in a hotel with her boyfriend, and it had been a rough couple of days for her because she's been trying for years to get out of her contract with WeTV. And you know, Listen, I'm a fan of Tamar. I loved her on The Real. You know, she was 
She was a a fiery personality. She was a robust personality. And, you know, I think a lot of us take for granted that some of these really, really big personalities, that those personalities are sometimes shields to to mask or cover what's going on underneath. And I've been I've read a few memes during the, the pandemic that talked about check on your strong friends. You know, it's like so many of us, we have a, a different idea of what strength looks like, of what depression looks like. And I'm sure that there is not one black woman out there who heard the story that really couldn't understand the tremendous amount of pain and burden that exists with being a black woman in America, where it can become a lot. Like this is not for the mild of heart. And this is, it's not, it's, it's not for the faint. It takes a tremendous amount of power. It takes a tremendous amount of power to exist and navigate through this world as a woman who shows up as being quote unquote black and living underneath the intersections of being both female in the patriarchy and being a quote-unquote minority in the white supremacy. So, and then the intersection of having both groups attempting to silence you and shut you up. It's a lot. We're going to jump into that a little bit later, but back to Tamar. So she was going through the this battle with WeTV where she's been trying to get out of her contract for years and they just won't let her out of her contract. She... She had issues with the fact that, you know, for her and and her family versus the Kardashians and their family and how the pay difference was very, very different. The promotion was very, very different. It was also said that Tamar saw the spin that they put on how they how they attempted to portray her in the trailer. And she just was really disheartened by that. Now, especially now during the pandemic, when we're trapped at home, we're having to to deal with with stagnancy and latency and not being able to be as mobile as we used to be, not having some of the comforts that we've had before, not having the social interactions that we've had before and being confronted with a lot. You know, people people take for granted mental health and the, the the shifting like people think that oh when you have a a mental health issue that's it you, 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 you know that's it you're done but no mental health wavers just like any type of health it's like we have constantly have to be in the business of staying on top of our healthfulness mentally like how you go every year to get that physical and you know we're going to talk about the doctors in America a little bit later, but you know, you go to, you get that physical every year to check on things and see how things are going on the inside. How many of us as black women go and get our yearly mental health checkups? Like I mentioned it to a friend this year and I was like, you know, um, when was the last time you had a mental health checkup? And he retorted back at me, when was the last time you had one? And I was like, you know, I go, I, I get them yearly especially doing the work that I do, you know, and it's like for so many of us black women, we have so many people riding on us. You know, I think part of the part of the the largest burden of being a woman 
in a society like this where you're under tremendous amount of pressure is that we are expected to exude this unwavering, unfalterable grace under fire. It's like we, we make this look easy, but it's not easy. And then things like this kind of shock us to our core because we're able to see that somebody like Tamar, what was she suffering with? What was she enduring what was she going through? Meanwhile, coming out to the public with the smile, coming out to the public with the bubbly personality. And it's like, you know, we love, we love for people to, to entertain us with, with their, with their, with their big, just bright beautifulness. We love to be in the bat. We love to bask in the sunshine of people's big personalities. And we often take for granted you know, what feeds that person? How much is that person's light, you know, being replenished? Because often what happens is the people that you consider strong or the people that you consider bubbly or whatnot, we end up being the recipients and we don't really get a chance to really pour back in. So we just take for granted if someone's strong, they're going to always stay strong. And for far too many of us black women, we give and we give and we give until we're depleted. And there really isn't the space and capacity for us to unravel. We don't really have the space and capacity to be like, you know what? This is, this is a lot. Because no matter what happens, you know, so many of us have children. No matter what happens, those children, they still need to get the help with their homework. They still need to get those dinners cooked, they still need to be hugged and they need their attention and they need to be played with. And far too many of us take for granted that, you know, just like with anything that needs maintenance, just like with anything that needs maintenance, you've got to take care of yourself. Far too many of us, our psychological, mental, spiritual, emotional tanks are on empty. And there's so many people who are giving rides and lifts to until we break down. And it breaks my heart that Tamar was in a space where, and listen, this is, this is, this is what we're hearing in the news. But there was only one person that was there with her. And when I first read it, I was like, hmm, is there suspected foul play? But I, I, I don't have any information that it is foul play. But, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that can be going on out there. You know what I mean? Let's jump into Megan the Stallion. All right. So Megan the Stallion was involved in an incident with the police um, a few days ago. And there's been a lot of things that have been coming out drip, drip, dripping about the story. Okay. And one of the things that came out today was that she was the victim of, of, of a shooting. She's been dating Tory Lanes, and they were at a party. And from what it is that I read, her and her friend were outside of the car and she was trying to leave. And Tory Lanes allegedly buck shots at her. One of the bullets hit her in the foot and she was down on the ground. The police came 
And she told the police that she had been cut in the foot. And I'm going to read a statement that she that she posted on um, on Twitter. She said, black women are so unprotected and we hold so many things in to protect the feelings of others without considering our own. It might be funny to y'all on the Internet and just another messy topic for you to talk about. But this is my real life, and I'm real life hurt and traumatized. And so that is what, you know, when I read that, I thought about all of the times that no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter what it is that we're enduring, we're expected to come out with this smile, protecting other people, taking on all of the burdens and continuing to shine brightly and, 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 and vibrantly. And not only that, she told people that she'd cut her foot on glass. Well, that was what was being reported, right? And so even after being shot, she was still attempting to protect Tory Lanes because it's like, oh God. You know, I feel like, you know how when we're little girls and we're taught to be, to be nice, to be good girls, etc. So much so that we put other people's feelings and considerations before our own. That there's so many of us out there who have been assaulted and rather than deal with the healing that we need from the assault. There's so many of us who are pressured not to bring heat onto the person who assaulted us, to go easy on them, to let it slide that they didn't know this or they didn't know that or maybe you took it the wrong way or maybe they changed or et cetera, et cetera. And we feel this pressure from other people and we feel the pressure from, from ourselves not to burden this other person. Oh, maybe you did take it the wrong way. Maybe they didn't really mean it that way. We second guess ourselves. Oh, gosh. You know, I just, it just reminds me of when I was assaulted years ago. And I didn't want to, I just, I didn't want to be involved in the whole police, the whole putting myself up under, under the eye of scrutiny and, 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 and just the, the cumbersomeness that would go along with that. And it reminds me of how many people write to me behind the scenes, how it's just easier to just go and get yourself. Cause at the end of the day, you're going to need healing anyway. And it's just easier to just let the situation just fly by and just go get yourself the help that you need. Because what ends up happening is that you end up, not only are you traumatized, but now you're traumatized and in your traumatized state, you then have to enter into this battle where people who are outside of the situation, who only know that person from what they know of them from the outside, are now then like wondering what your motives are, wondering why you're doing this. And then when it comes to, I remember I watched this, um, I was watching this this TV program with Ava DuVernay and some other black women who were on the, on the, on the, on the panel. 
And they were talking about how black women are often, how we are often pressured to not really hold black men accountable because, you know, they've been through so much historically and, you know, they, they don't have a fair shot with the police, et cetera, et cetera. And we're taught to constantly second guess ourselves to push down what's going on inside of us for consideration for the black man who's been, you know, done, quote unquote, done so dirty over the years. But when does the time come for the consideration to be taken for us? You know, it's like we're in this whole Black Lives Matter movement right now. And I've been noticing patterns going on online where it's like black men seem to be so with it when you're standing up hollering about, you know, the injustices against them. You're like, oh, black men are being killed, this, that, and the other, right? But when you speak up your gripe about what's happening to you, then all of a sudden, your, your, the vociferousness of your voice is no longer welcome. Then they're like, oh, you know, be quiet. Oh, well, what, what about us? And then they want the conversation to turn back around to, well, oh, what, 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 what trials and, 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 and tribulations they've had. And it's like they need or they want or they desire for the attention to be focused on them and what's happening to them. But when you're like, after, after, okay. After your, your problem is confronted, at what point does the black woman get to have her issue confronted? At what point does that, and it's, you know, and, and, and unfortunately speaking, unfortunately speaking, many of the issues that black women are facing, we're facing at the hands of, of white supremacy, white, a white supremacist system a patriarchal system, and a misogynistic system. So on the one hand, we have aggressors who are Caucasian, who are participating in activities that are making things more difficult for us in society. And then on the flip, hand, flip side, on the, on the other hand, we then have issues that are going on with black men that are making things more difficult for us in society, making things more difficult for us in our neighborhoods. And one of the questions that I had before I came onto this podcast is I was wondering, where in America is a black woman safe? I just, and, and listen, if you, if you know the answer out there, please, by all means, tell me, where in America is a black woman safe? Because it's like the, her relationship is a minefield where her needs and wants and, and desires are constantly being pushed down in an effort to make things smooth and easy for other people, husband, boyfriend, children, where her voice is really not heard. And the moments that her voice are heard, you know, she's, it, it, it's encouraged for her to push those down. It's a burden. It's a burden. You speak up against what's going on in the country with white supremacy, and then the white people are like, just be quiet. No, we don't want to hear it. I didn't do this. I'm not to blame. And it's like wherever it is that we turn, 
there just seems to be somebody who is whose actions are participating in 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 the in the diminishing of our human rights who's telling us to just be quiet about it and i'm i'm tired i'm so tired i'm tired of being told to shut up i'm tired of being told that my issues are are a fantasy you know it's like if you if you come to my facebook page cuz on my facebook page I, I, I put up a lot of posts. One of the posts that I put up this past week was about the healthcare system. And the post was what the police do to black men, the healthcare system does to black women. And there were people who came out on that post and they were like, oh, I'm white and, and, and that didn't happen to me. And I'm like, but you, you're proving my point. <laughs> I'm like, you're proving my point. And then so it's like on that post, then you get up and you have to start fighting these people off who are trying to tell you. I mean, and look, the numbers speak for themselves. The stats of how black women are exponentially more likely to not only die during childbirth, but also have her child die after childbirth. We're being given unnecessary C-sections at an extended rate and then denied pain medication. We were, um, I was reading about how, how discrimination shows up in the medical system towards black women, not only with the things that I mentioned, but the amount of time that the doctor spends with 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 each patient, right? I remember my primary care doctor. He always seemed like he was in a rush. I would I would talk to him, and he he almost seemed perturbed, like I was stopping him from doing something more important than spending that time there with me. And it was like he had a certain amount of time allotted. And then after that, he was like, he was like looking at his watch. It was like, and I had questions that I needed answered. I had services that I needed to be referred to. And he was just always seeming like something else, like I was holding him from something else. So much so that I felt like I had to rush my questions out and then, and and, and then get out of there. And at one point I was like, I feel like you're rushing me and I have questions that I need to ask. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. Go ahead, ask your questions. And then started looking at his watch. And, you know, I asked my questions and I got everything that I needed answered, even though it was rushed. I got what I needed answered and I got the referrals and then he sent me out to the front desk to to, to get the, the rest of the, the referral information done by the women at the front desk. And then I remember there was something else that I needed. Um, and they said, well, you know what? Go on back there and talk with him, right? And I was like, well, are you sure? Because I thought the man was on his way out or something. I went back there and he was doing nothing. He was sitting at his computer on some sort of social media. And I was like, this man rushed me out of his office, rushed me out of our meeting that it took me one month, four weeks waiting to be able to get. 
It's like, you know, you go to make an appointment and they're like, oh, he, they have an opening four weeks from now, four weeks. And then the moment that I get in there, you know, he's like pushing me out. I remember what it was that I needed. There was some, some stuff because he like gave me like my, my blood work and stuff without explaining the stuff to me that was on the paperwork. And I needed an explanation for what these numbers meant. It was like there was a whole bunch of numbers and figures and stuff on there. And they told me to just go back and, and talk with him. And he was sitting in there doing nothing on social media. And I was like, ain't this about a blip? I just, and then it's like, you know, it's like little things like that. If that is your experience, you don't know what somebody else's experience is like. You know what I mean? It's like you think that that, you, that your experience is normal, but then when I read that they that they that the amount of time that doctors spend per patient is significantly less with black with with black women, I wasn't stunned or surprised. I wasn't stunned or surprised. And I remember I was um there was I was watching Married at First Sight, I believe it was, it was, oh, it was one of the, it was one of the earlier seasons, maybe season three, something like that. It was an earlier season. And there was this black couple on there. For those of you out there who have seen it, you know, let me know, let me know, right? So there was this black couple, they were in New York and this black man was verbally abusive to this young lady. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. He was like, first he was like, you know, I feel like you're not, you're not giving me enough attention. So then she turned around and she started giving the man attention. And then the man was like, oh, you, you, you're too giddy. You're, you're all over me. I need space. Right. And he's like, you never give me time alone. Right. It was just, it was really bizarre because he kept moving the goalposts. He kept gaslighting her. The whole situation was a mess. So then we got to the, 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 the reunion episode. Right. So of course, you know, that couple didn't decide to stay together, but we got to the reunion episode and in the reunion episode, the black woman was speaking about, um, some of the issues that she was having in the relationship and the camera panned over to the experts and the experts like were rolling their eyes. It was like they were impatient with what it is that she had to say. It was like they really they they didn't want to hear it. So the experts were behind her. She couldn't see them. She was talking to the host, but when the camera panned towards them, you could see the impatience and they were like, "Oh, you know, just like, oh, you know, what is she complaining or whatever, right? I don't know what they were saying because you just see them rolling their eyes. And it's like, it's these things, those little things, the lack of empathy, the feeling that you feel a certain way about a person because of, of some unknown reason or you don't know why you feel that way about them. But it just so happens that there are other people who look that way that similar people like you happen to feel the same kind of way about. Like I remember I was um I went and I, I did some I, I I worked with after the hurricane in Puerto Rico, I went down there and I did some work to assist after the hurricane. And so you all know that I've never I've never had a full time job before in my life. So, you know, I just basically work for myself. This was a time that I felt that it was it was 
it was necessary for me to assist. I felt helpless sitting here doing nothing. So I went there and I actually was um, a member of the first team on the ground getting the office set up um, for the for the for the rest of the team to come in. So we were down there on the ground when there was no cell phone service in Puerto Rico. Trees were down. It looked like the apocalypse. This, Credit card machines were not work, working because all of these things transmit over phone lines. And without, without, without those, those satellites and stuff like that, nothing was working. It, it, the street lights weren't working. Street signs weren't working. The lamps overhead at night, it was pitch black. Trees blown off. Cars just making their way as they can. It was just, it felt very uncertain. You know, we're so used to being connected and on social media. So like I'm there, I can't contact my family. I don't know if my family is okay. Cause you know, it's like you got your, your cell phone with you. So you know, oh, if anybody needs me, they could reach me on my phone. But when you don't have phone access for a few days, you don't have internet access for a few days and you can't get in touch with people and no one can get in touch with you, you start to feel an anxiety. Because we're constantly connected, you don't know that type of anxiety until until you're disconnected from it. And then you can't use your you can't use your your debit card, you can't use your phone, which means you can't use Uber. You can't buy stuff to at the store. You know, so it's like it was it was a very precarious situation. But we were the first people on the ground and I went down there and I helped to set when I say help to set up the office, I'm talking about I was in the the doggone office store getting the folders and the and the and the post-its and the paper clips and stuff like that to set up the office, set up the office, S- putting out the, the chairs and the desk and getting all of that stuff set up, but nonetheless. So there was a there was a, a big honcho. <laughs> there was a big honcho who had come down to Puerto Rico and he was, you know, and, and you know what I learned so much. I don't know how people how regular people work the nine to five life. I, I don't know how, how they do it. Because the people who were at the it seemed like the furthest that you got from the work, the more the people got paid. The less work they actually did and the less competent they were. You know what I'm saying? So nonetheless, so this the, one of the big honchos came. And this honcho had this animosity towards your girl. Like, I didn't do nothing to this man. You know what I'm saying? I am the consummate professional. I am a self-starter. I'm hardworking. I'm reliable. I'm trustworthy. And I stay to get the job done. Because I work for myself, I know what it's like to not have to wait on anybody to get the job done, right? So nonetheless, so this head head honcho dude, right? Oh my Lord, when I tell you, listen, I mean, those of you, (laughs) those of you who work these types of jobs, you know the type of person telling you to do something that you know doesn't make sense. And then criticizing you for doing the thing that they told you to do that didn't make sense in the first place. But then if you don't do what doesn't make sense, then they get on you. And it's like, it's just, it's inefficient because you, they have you do it the wrong way. Then you got to go back and correct it and do it the right way. After now they've um, come up with the idea that now you need to do it another way. But nonetheless, 
This dude had animosity towards the girl. I don't know what was going on inside this man's mind. Like, he was nasty to me. He was, like, confrontational with me. And when all was said and done, and I started talking to other people, this is not unique. Like, there are some people who... They perceive you a certain way because you're black, because you're female, or because of whatever reason is going on inside of their mind that they associate with how you show up in terms of race and gender. And they have these biases against you that they themselves inside of their heart would deny. But the numbers and the data speak something different. And it's like all across the U.S., you ask for these stories over and over and over again. And again and again and again, people are speaking up their experiences. Black women are letting people know what's happening to them. And we are constantly being gaslit into into people trying to convince us that what we see is happening and what it is that we are experiencing is not happening. And it's frustrating, it's demeaning, and it's, it, it's, it's burdensome. It's just, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Let's jump into the medical story, right? So <clears throat> I received this article from an associate. And in the article, it was talking about how black health professionals have been meeting up on Zoom. Like because of the pandemic, they've been meeting up on Zoom and while on Zoom, they've been referring people, referring other women to each other. So they've been giving each other mental mental health help. They've been sharing doulas and they have been doing all of these different things behind the scenes in the inner network of black women, right? And I was reading this and a great deep sadness came over me. A great deep sadness because it's like, you know, we work so hard to integrate this country. We work so hard to have equal human rights, right? Only to have to then turn around 50 years later and segregate in order to be able to get good kind, proficient, helpful health care where people will listen to you and value you as a human being. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having a health crisis and the people that you go to with your health crisis don't value you and your life? Can you imagine? And for so many of you out there, you can how many of you out there are avoiding going to the doctor because you don't feel that when you get there on that table that they will know that your life is worth living even if they don't see the value? How many of you out there are not getting the treatment that you need and deserve because you are not sure of whether or not when you walk into that hospital you'll be treated with empathy, kindness, whether or not you'll be heard, whether or not you'll be pushed out or, or, or rushed out the door. And it's like, it, it, 
it shouldn't have to be that way. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have health concerns right now? And you, if you knew that you would be seen by black doctor and black staff, that you would go and get whatever it is that you need looked at, looked at. How many of you would do that? And that in and of itself is the crying shame. It's like we've been thrust into this situation where we are depending, our lives, our health, our livelihood is depending on people to provide a life-saving health saving service for us and we're being dehumanized by those very people and it's like we fought so hard for integration for this for what to be inside of our neighborhoods with occupying forces that descend upon us and jail our children our brothers our husbands cousins and us that we are not seen as valuable by them and they descend upon our neighborhoods and treat us like they are an occupying force in a different land, not like our tax dollars are paying them. And it's like, and then they embolden and empower other citizens to, to, to victimize us as well. And I wonder to myself, what are the benefits? What are the benefits of integration besides, besides equal, equal textbooks, equal facilities? What are the benefits? Well, you know what? I can say that there are sociological benefits from our children being able to go to school with with multi-ethnic people. But then what are the benefits when now we're in situations where most of our children's teachers are, are teachers of another color? Who, when your child is in a confrontation with another child, that your child is the one who is seen as guilty that there are police officers who come into the school and grab your daughter and fling her across the damn room. That your child go to a pool and a police officer come in her bikini and her skinny little body and take her and slam her across the grass, rubbing like, just, like a rag doll, big man. And I'm just... I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm befuddled and I'm at a loss. I just, I'm so, I'm just, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm just, I'm tired. And I'm, I'm, I'm confused. That article that I read today, it shook me. It shook me to my core that in order to have your pregnancy respected and your unborn child protected that women have had to self-segregate to be able to receive the health care that they deserve
Can you imagine what type of person, what type of person holds animosity towards an unborn baby? What type of, what type of person doesn't value the life of an unborn baby because of the race of its mother? Like this child is not or could not possibly be the answer the answer to the future that we've been waiting on and it just it reminds me of this movie that I saw called The Banker and in this movie there were black people who were brilliant brilliant business mind brilliant mathematical mind and they had to hide behind the scene and use a, the face of a white person in the front of the business in order to be able to, to, to rise up the ranks in banking. And the white person that they chose, so they, 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 he, one of the guys partnered with an adept white man at first, but then when things went awry, he ended up losing. So he went and he partnered with a man who, a white man who was not as adept but at least they could maintain control over the operation from behind the scenes. And this statement came to me while I was watching this because this, this white guy was ill-equipped. He could barely do math. But the white people constantly gave him chance after chance after chance because he was white. They let him into certain rooms because he was white. They felt that he could do certain jobs that he was not capable of doing because he was white. And this statement came to me, they're not looking for the right man for the job. They're looking for the white man for the job. And it's like your worth and your value as a human being is constantly being devalued because of the color of your skin. Like that situation at the border, most of you don't know this, but I went and I actually, before this administration, I went and I assisted with unaccompanied minors who had crossed the border. For many of you out there, you know that I am semi-fluent in Spanish, not completely fluent, but semi-fluent in Spanish, and I saw a need. You know, I don't talk about these things publicly, but you know, we're such close friends here on the podcast that I'm mentioning it here. But I went and I, I did some work with unaccompanied minors and when this administration came in and the minors were down at the border and they were being held in cages and they were being treated inhumanely, I reached out to also assist and I was really tormented because I was like, do I want to participate in that system where children are being held in cages and then the thing that was conflictual to me was I was like, well, you know, at least they'll have somebody there like me who is genuinely concerned about them and has their best interest at heart. You know, and it was it was a really tough decision that that I that I struggled with for quite some time. And one thought came to me as that whole situation was was unfurling. It's like nobody knew. 
Nobody knew whether or not one of those children in the cages, whether or not they had the cure or would have grown to have the cure to cancer. Nobody knows what what genius lie in, in the minds of these young people, what, what benefit there could be to our society from, from one of these people who's being discounted and demeaned because of the color of their skin. And it troubled me because it's like you never know where some great participation in your, in your society will come from. But it's like they didn't care. They said, oh, you're brown. You don't have much to offer. What do you have to offer? You deserve to be in a cage. And then they left it at that. And so, you know, it gives, it, it gives a lot to think about. And it's like the, the circular, the circularness of the issue the circularness of being at the intersectionality of being both female and Negroid in a white supremacist patriarchy. And it makes me think of Tamar, who attempted or is claimed that she attempted to take her life, a mother, a mother with a son who is the spitting image. Have you seen her baby? Oh my gosh, he looks so much like Vince the spitting image of her ex-husband who she says was physically abusive to her and how she really had to fight to get out of that marriage. And then we have Megan the Stallion in a relationship with a man who buck shots at her. And it's like, how, how often do we hear about black women who are killed by their partners because of the toxic masculinity that just won't allow them to be great, who doesn't feel that their life has worth outside of whatever it is that exists in his warped mind. And then he allegedly buck shots at her and in her, in her femaleness, in the downtroddenness of the, the programming of the female mind, that she would speak out to protect him when he could have killed her. And then we got, it's just, it's, it's so much. It's so much and it's the constantly being told to shut up when you speak up about your pain. And it's like, I wonder where, where can we go? Where can we go to, to be safe? Where can we go? You know, people talk about black on black crime. And for far, you know, first of all, the term black on black crime is a is a white supremacist term impounded upon us by previous administrations who decided to further dehumanize us with their policy. So we have so many of us women who are relegated into single motherhood. And then relegated into neighborhoods which are largely made unsafe at the hands of black men who are enacting violence against themselves, enacting violence against your loved ones, and enacting violence against you. 
you know, it's like we talk so much about women needing protection. However, if there wasn't so much toxic masculinity around, and I'm not saying that masculinity is toxic. This is why it's important for you to do the the research that you need to do to understand what toxic masculinity is. When masculinity skews towards the toxic, And then because of the toxic masculinity and how it shows up, but if it wasn't for that, what would we need protection from? What would we need protection from? I mean, honestly, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, make sure that you leave your comment below. If you're on the podcasting, if you're on Anchor, you can leave me a voice message. And if you're on one of the on one of the podcasting sites and you want to leave a comment, you can come over to Facebook or YouTube and you'll be able to leave your comment there. Or you can come over to TanyaTKO.com forward slash podcast and leave your comment there because I really I, I want to hear from you. There's a lot of questions that I'm asking you because it's like we're, we're receiving it from so many ends, this end and that end we were from the white people, the white women black men and then even the division amongst ourselves it's like where can we really go where we can just kick back and relax I thought about this before I made the podcast I thought where can we go and I thought well you know what we could go to a retreat with other women but then there's only but so many things that at the retreat with other women there's only but so many things that you can talk about before you're told to shut up if it's if it if it's a, if it's a mixed group, you the, people start getting uncomfortable when you start speaking about the things that really affect you, that really matter to you, the injustices enacted upon you, and then they want you to shut up, they want you to be quiet, they they they, they don't want to hear it, they get impatient. So it's like we're we're relegated to these neighborhoods that are large that are made say unsafe, largely at the hands of men. Inside of many of our homes, our homes are, are not safe. They say that 40% of black girls will be molested before they even leave their homes. And that it's like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot. We're receiving it from some, so many ends. And then it's like, then you, you grow up and you make it out. You grow up and you make it out. You escape the neighborhood. You make it out. You make something of yourself. And then you go out there and they don't want to pay you equal pay. They want to turn you into a caricature and, 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 and sully your name, make you look crazy on TV. And then you go out there and, you, and it's like it's just one thing after another. And then we have, then you, then you do find a person, you, you, you date and, and then the toxic masculinity starts to show up. So that it's like you're left in a situation where you can either be a single mother, be with a person who may not be a good fit, wait, stay alone and wait until you find a person who who is a good fit and goodness knows where your fertility will be by then. I saw Beverly Johnson, got supermodel Beverly Johnson just got married at the age of 67 to a black man and it's like how many of us got 67 years to wait 
So it's like, <laughs> so it's like you have you, the, the choices that you have. Wait until you find a person who is a good match, and you really don't know when that'll be. I mean, if you really, if you, I mean, if you really, really think about it, if you really think about it, when I start looking around, and I look in the different circles. And I see the women who have had children young. It's like two two different classes of black women. Those who have had children young from men where the relationships just really weren't going to last. And those who waited and waited and continued to. I had, I had a woman, I had a, 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 a person who became a friend of mine at this this night class or this um this business class that I was taking years ago. And she never did tell me how old she was. But when I asked her, you know, what was going on, you know, dating wise and all this and other. And she said that she waited so long to find a person that she just. She'd gone through menopause, continuing to wait. Oh, Lord of mercy. Listen. It's a lot. So I want you to answer that question. Where can a black woman be safe? And before we get out of here, the last thing I'm going to talk about is one of the other posts that I put up on Facebook. And inside of the post, the post asked whether or not we were ready to talk about, listen to this, asked whether or not we were ready to talk about how black men have made white and Latina women feel like an upgrade from black women. And you know what, listen, I know that it's not, it's not politically correct. First of all, Latina has no 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 look, but we all have an idea of what people mean, what's promoted as quote unquote Latina in, in, in the public. Because even even on Latin TV there are issues with colorism that promote one ideal. But that's a that's a subject for a whole other day. But nonetheless, on that post, it was so strange and bizarre. So strange and bizarre. The same men who were relishing, lapping in the, lapping or lavishing in the lap, luxuriating in the defense of, you know, from from black women during the, the protest. The same men who were luxuriating in that, quiet and just receiving, basking in it, were some of the same men who were coming out now bashing us. Oh, we date who we want to date. Oh, it's just to find you your own man. Oh, then think for a while. And then not only that, then we had the we had the the white women coming out. My man never. My man is black. He never. He he never. Oh, maybe that's the wrong voice. My man is black. He never. He never made me feel like I was a better. People taking it personal. I'm Latina. My boyfriend never. Really. I mean, it's like people getting triggered and triggered so much that they can't even participate in an honest discussion. So that they they then make it about themselves and they start trying to provide anecdotal evidence. Oh, why you in your one particular situation, never this, never that. You can't even have an honest conversation and admit, admit that across the board, white women have been positioned as 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 the as the trophy, as the upgrade. 
the person that you get when you want to you want to show your 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 status of wealth and it's like while people are benefiting from the gaze g-a-z-e while people are benefiting from that gaze being upon them in an adoring way their mouths are quiet oh they're so shut when people are attacking you, as long as the focus isn't on them, they're quiet. They're not nothing to say. They're not nothing to say. They're just quiet. Shh. Let me sit back and just fly under the radar. Oh, I love the way this feels when I'm basking in the lap of luxuriousness. Yes. But then the moment that you say, you know what, let's have an honest conversation about this, then all of a sudden it's like, shut up. You're jealous. Are you not many? You know how many caucasoids on that post I had come out and tell me that I'm jealous. And I'm like, you don't really see how you fall into the stereotype. Jealous of what? Who are you? And what is it for me to be jealous of from you? When you know nothing about me and I know nothing about you besides the fact that you have white skin, but you feel that that is enough. You feel that that is enough to be able to open up your book and say that, that I must be jealous of you. And it's like, it's just, you know what? On that note, I'm not going to say much more than that. I want to hear your thoughts below. Well, if you're on the video site, I want to hear your thoughts. Make sure that if you are on YouTube, that you, that you thumbs up, you like the page, you you turn on the bell notifications. If you're on Facebook that you follow, if you're on a podcasting site, make sure that you, I don't know what people do on podcasting. I guess they follow too, right? <laughs> or you can always come to my website and listen there on tanyatko.com forward slash podcast and make sure that you contribute to the podcast and make sure that you submit topics. I want to hear, I, I want to hear what's on your heart and mind. Like I said, it's, it's a lot different doing the audio because when we when we do this, you know, I know that you have time to to sit back and listen and 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 hear and unpack these ideas with me. You know, and also tell me what you think of my new audio. I um this is a I got a fancy new audio setup. I um I had a crush and my crush is an audio professional. And he assisted me in getting all of this wonderful equipment, even down to gold-plated wires and everything so that you could hear my golden voice pass across the microphone. <laughs> and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with, I'm happy with it. I think it sounds really robust. I think my voice sounds just big and juicy and just sunshiny, very warm and aglow. So, and you, listen, I'm going to say this. I'm going to jump out of here. Even me, myself, I have a difficult time staying awake when I try to edit my content because the voice is like, my voice is like a comforter. You know, it's like a, a warm, just comforting comforter. It just wraps all around you. Don't let me get to vibrate in the speakers. <laughs> Don't let me get to vibrating the speakers all around you because then you'll really be enwrapped. Listen, on that note, I'm going to bid you adieu. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Stay in touch. Make sure that you are on my website and you join my mailing list so that you will always know when I put out new content. 
That's at tanyatko.com forward slash subscribe. You can come to the contact page and drop a topic. And I will see you in the next podcast. And remember, make sure you contribute monthly. Get my book on Amazon and love yourself through my content. All right. I also have MP3s in my shop area on tanyatko.com to assist you in being able to relax, heal, stress release. And I'll see you in the next video or or the next audio. Tanya TKO and I'm out. Go out there and love one another. Most importantly, love yourself. Peace.